This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 190 of the Catholic Foodie. Two Pope Saints, Mary Madeline, and a Roman holiday. Welcome, folks, to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm your host, Jeff Young, and today we are talking about Pope St. John the Twenty-Third and Pope St. John Paul II. Uh, some folks are calling him uh, Pope St. John Paul the Great. You know, it's <laughs> it's going to take some getting used to, I think, to uh, to say those names that way. Pope Saint, that's pretty cool, huh? Pope Saint, and there these are these are saints that we know, we we've seen in our lifetime, heard their voices. Very amazing. We also have Mary Madeline joining us today on the show. She was in Rome for the canonizations and has a lot to share with us. So stay tuned right here, at the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. That's right, folks. Mary Madeline joins. David Dawson, president of Catholic Community Radio, and Monsignor Christopher Nalty, a priest of the Archdiocese of New Orleans, together with me on the Around the Table Food Show, which I will be bringing to you in just a few moments. First, I want to talk about a few upcoming events and a few things that we have going on here at the Catholic Foodie. Of course, you know, uh, you probably, if you are familiar with CatholicFoodie.com, you probably are aware of the fact that I do have a cookbook coming out. That's right, my very own cookbook. I think that's very, uh, very cool. Very, very cool. I'm very happy about this project, about the cookbook. Um, it's going to be published by Liguori Publications, and it's coming out November 1st. It will be released November 1st. I am uh, finishing up the, the, the text right now, and uh, believe it or not, I, I'm just so amazed at how this whole book publishing thing works. Very different. Than, than what I anticipated, you know, as, as I was growing up and, and I used to uh, envy authors and, and I was always impressed with them. And in my own mind, I had an idea of how the, the writing process worked, the publication process worked. And guess what? It, it didn't work anything like the way I thought. <laughs> but that's okay. That is, that's okay with me. Uh, it's, it's very much a team effort, this book writing thing, very much a team effort. And I've got an editor over at Liguori that I'm working with, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, I've got the recipes, of course, and other uh, uh, things that I'm writing, whether it's uh, stories about different recipes or stories from my trip to uh, Israel, the pilgrimage to Israel in February, and then the upcoming one, you know, we've got another one coming up this coming February. I'll tell you more about that shortly, too. But sharing these stories, sharing the stories of my, my wife's uh, family is Lebanese, where we're very accustomed to not only the, the cuisine, right? We, we cook Lebanese style in our home all the time. She, my wife grew up with it. Uh, anytime we're over at, uh, at my in-laws, we're eating, you know, not every time grape leaves, but just about every time we're eating hummus and we're eating tabbouleh when we, tomatoes are in season and, you know, things like that. We, we, we live this cuisine. It's part and parcel of our daily life, our lived experience. And, um, and we want to share that, you know, so it's part of the book. It's part of, you know, the Holy Land and, and my wife's family and our experience. And Middle Eastern cuisine is very healthy. It's very good for you, but it's also more than that. You know, in a lot of ways, it shares what we have here at the Catholic Foodie. What I talk about a lot is this Southern kind of, I'm, I'm right outside of New Orleans. So I grew up in South Louisiana and we have this Cajun and Creole culture down here, and which both of both of which, right, Cajun and Creole, were very Catholic. And so you have this tradition, this very real tradition in this area of the country of larger families, 
of um, people who live close to the to the to the earth. They they work the earth. They, we have farmers and and fishermen and shrimpers and people who are very much dependent upon God, literally, in in what we receive. And uh, it, this has really colored our culture. It's colored our uh, our lived experience even today, in in the way that we eat, and uh, not just the foods we eat and how we prepare them, but also the way that we eat. We eat meals. We we like to to spend a lot of time around the table. We 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 like to spend time with family and friends, talking, getting to know one another, and really sharing a meal because that's one of the most intimate things that we can do, one of the most loving things that we can do. And so that's that's part of this whole package too. We, we see the Cajun, the Creole in this area of the country, but also the Middle Eastern culture, the culture that Jesus came from is also very much, uh, is very similar. You've got larger families. You have people who are close to the earth uh, and the produce. Oh my goodness, in Israel, the Fertile Crescent, the produce was just unbelievable. The, the, the quality and also the quantity and the freshness of the produce, I was, um, I was just in awe. I loved it, and I miss it. I was only there for 11 days, but I really miss the produce uh, in, in Israel. And so they, they, their culture shares this love of the table, right? Being able to gather around the table, spend time, even leisurely time, around the table with friends and family. And, and that our foods and the way that they're prepared support that. Um, one of the things I talk about a lot in, in the book, and I've got a whole section of this, is the meze. The meze in the Middle Eastern culture, you have all these small dishes on the table. When you go to dine, you get to the table, and there are all these dishes already there with uh, little salads or, or pickles or uh, dips you know, with, with, with pita bread uh, next to it, and baba ganoush and hummus and, and all this. And what you have is just something to knickknack on, right? Something just to, to snack on as you talk and spend time at the table before the meal gets there. Because you might be at the table for two or three hours or four hours. You never know. So it's just really neat. And, and I have recipes in the, in the cookbook for the meze. I've got appetizers. I've got salads, soups. And of course, you know, you've got your, your beef and your lamb and your chicken, um, lots of really good stuff coming out, even desserts. We've got some desserts and something that just came about uh, the last couple of weeks here. My friend Sarah Vabulous, uh, who is affectionately known as the Catholic Drinky, <laughs> catholicdrinky.com, uh, she, she loves to homebrew and um, she has put together, she has developed herself a recipe that will pair well with a lot of the foods that we have in the cookbook. And that recipe will be published in the cookbook uh, that's coming out November 1st. And it's, the, the title, by the way, is Around the Table with the Catholic Foodie, Middle Eastern Cuisine. And I'm so excited. The cover is there. You can actually pre-order the book, even though it's not out yet. You can pre-order. I mean, not even finished. I haven't finished writing it yet, okay? <laughs> but it's so neat because you can actually pre-order it. It's coming out November 1st. I've got a deadline in a couple of weeks to get everything in. Um, but it's just such an exciting time. And I want to share with you that uh, one of the reasons that it is so exciting uh, is because it's, it really does flow out of the ministry of the Catholic foodie. I mean, I love to cook. 
I love to share the joy that God gives us in, in the act of eating and eating together, eating with people, the, the act of joy that cooking is, because I love to cook. And, uh, and it is a gift. It, it's a gift, and it's something that God does give to us. And, and I want to share that with you, but I, it, one of the things that is so important, especially in our day, today, our culture is so busy. We have so many obligations. We're doing too much, I think, way too much for our own good. And the, one of the first things that goes by the wayside is good food, first of all, and, and, and then time spent together around the table. And I, you know, I don't have to tell you. You can look around. You see it. Uh, so many people who are eating fast food, we have health crisis, uh, a health crisis in our country. Uh, fast food has replaced uh, home-cooked meals for a large segment of our society uh, who, who just have to eat on the run. and. Um, the byproduct of that is not spending time in the kitchen cooking, not spending time around the table at home leisurely. You know, you may be uh, eating in the car or eating at a fast food restaurant where the, the, the object is to eat quickly, right? It's fast food. You don't necessarily go to uh, a fast food restaurant and hang out and, you know, order a McWine or a McBeer and some McAppetizers and just hang for a couple of hours with your, your friends, you know, it's, it's just, it didn't work that way. So we, we, we lose this. We have lost a good, good part of our society, a large segment of our society has lost this, what really has been for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, the daily experience of families, which has been spending time around the table every day because we have to eat. And uh, so I try to promote that. I try to promote getting back in the kitchen. I try to promote getting around the table as often as possible. Even if the, if the, if the table's at a restaurant, hey, that's fantastic. Uh, just, you know, a restaurant with good food and good quality food and, and healthy stuff and, and, and spend the time at the restaurant. That's awesome. I love that. I do it myself. Um, but to really just spend that time. And so it's neat that here I have this cookbook that's coming out and, and the whole thrust behind it is the concept, the idea of pilgrimage, going on pilgrimage, but also biblical food and what we can learn about food and meals from the Bible. And the, 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 I guess the message, the overall message is really to get back around the table. I have the radio show in uh, New Orleans and Baton Rouge, Around the Table is the name of it. And uh, now the cookbook coming out is Around the Table. I think there's a, a theme here. And Believe it or not, I did not even name the cookbook. That was something that Ligori, did, uh, Ligori Publications did, not, not me. But I love it. So it's a very exciting time. I am very, very um, thrilled, just absolutely thrilled to be able to share all this stuff in a new format. I've got the podcast. I've got the website. And now there's going to be a, a book. And just so very happy uh, about that. And I'd love to hear what you have to think about it. You can always reach me, leave feedback, voice feedback. I love to get feedback. Uh, on the voice feedback line, and I can play that here on the show. And that number, if you don't know it already, is 985-635-4974, 985-635-4974. You can give me a call, leave a message. I can play that on the show and then respond to you here in public, which I think is a neat thing to do. You can also email me at jeff at catholicfoodie.com. I love to hear from you, and I respond to all the email that I get. Uh, you can find me over on uh, Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash catholicfoodie and Facebook, facebook.com slash catholicfoodie. And of course, there's Instagram and Pinterest and uh, <laughs> the list, I think, uh, seems to be 
endless. So you can find me in all those good places. And what I'm going to do here, I have the, um, the, the, the radio show, the Around the Table radio show, the food show that we did just this past week. It was such a privilege to have Mary Madeline on the show. And you may know Mary or heard of Mary. Mary is the, the wife of uh, political consultant uh, James Carville. And uh, Mary is no, no uh, stranger to politics either. You know, she's uh, been in politics, public affairs, crisis management, and, uh, and the media. And she's been doing that for over three decades. And it's just really pretty amazing. She served uh, Presidents uh, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and George W. Bush. And uh, most recently, she joined the Bush-Cheney administration in the first term as assistant of the president and counselor to the vice president. Um, so she's, she's got books that she's written. It's just, it's interesting because I know that, uh, Mary and James are sometimes, uh, on the opposite ends, it seems like on the, in the political realm, uh, and yet they're married. So it's kind of cool. And also Catholic, by the way, both of them, uh, Mary is a convert and we don't get into that on the, uh, on the, on the radio show this, this time. We do want to have her back to talk about her conversion experience and, um, We'd like to talk to her more about her latest book. She's got a new book that's out. However, we wanted to have her on this past week because she traveled with a, a few other folks over to Rome. I think the, she traveled with like a few million. I don't know how many people totally went to, to Rome for the canonizations, but uh, Mary Madeline was there. And she wanted to just share with us uh, her experience. Like, what was it like to be there? And uh, also, of course, we had to talk. Food. It is a food show, after all. And Mary spent um, time with Cardinal Dolan around the table and, and with several other folks at some really nice restaurants there in Rome. And we get to hear the scoop, right, what was going on there at the restaurants. Loved having Mary on. We did have some technical difficulty, and uh, the very tail end of our conversation got cut off. But uh, we are going to get that fixed, <laughs> and we're going to have her back. So... Uh, without further ado, I'm going to let this show play. Please sit back and enjoy and let me know uh, what you think about it. Again, the feedback line, 985-635-4974, 985-635-4974. Give me a call, leave me a message, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Bon appétit. Hi, this is Jeff Young, the Catholic foodie, and I want to invite you to join me on a food and faith pilgrimage to the Holy Land organized by Select International Tours from February 26th to March 8th, 2015. On this pilgrimage, we'll be exploring many of the sites that a feature in my soon-to-be-released cookbook published by Liguori Publications. The name of the book is Around the Table with the Catholic Foodie Middle Eastern Cuisine, and it is scheduled to be released November 1st. The first 10 people to sign up for this pilgrimage will receive a free autograph copy of the cookbook. On this journey to Israel, we will explore Bethlehem, Cana, Nazareth, Jerusalem, Jericho, Ein Karim and Emmaus. We will celebrate Mass on the Mount of Beatitudes and sail on the Sea of Galilee. We will visit Jesus' tomb, the place where he was buried and where he rose from the dead. On this food and faith pilgrimage, we will walk the land of Jesus and taste the culture through the delicious foods of the Middle East, dining in some of Israel's best restaurants and getting cooking lessons from some of Israel's top chefs. On this pilgrimage, we will grow in faith together around the table of the Eucharist and around the dinner table as we share some of the same foods that Jesus used to eat. For more information and to register, go to catholicfoodie.com. 
Welcome to Around the Table. I'm Jeff Young, the Catholic foodie, joined today by Monsignor Christopher Nolte, a priest of the Archdiocese of New Orleans, and David Dawson, president of Catholic Community Radio. Welcome, fellas. Hey. Hey. Good to be here. We are still in the afterglow, I believe, of this recent canonization. I mean, I I still see things, hear people talking about it all the time, praying to the popes. Uh, It's just, it's amazing. It's nice to finally put them in the Eucharistic prayer on that day, you know. And and some people don't know, you know, the old school, the way they say in in, in Italy, they're they're papi santi, they're, they're sainted popes. But when you really officially, you should call them Pope Saint John Paul II and Pope Saint John XXIII. Sometimes you just hear I saint. never understood that. Yeah, I think it's to separate them so that people know, you know it's more easy to know who they are. But you um, don't say Saint Pope? No, you say Pope Saint. Pope Saint. Yeah. yeah. Because then Saint Pope, it sounds like their name. Their name is Pope. No, Pope is their title. Saint oh. is their honor. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and they were also name. canonized okay. right. because of their personal holiness, not right. because they were Pope. And that's very important, I think, Jeff. I think that's a great point because, you know, Pope Francis really did something interesting by canonizing both these guys at the same time. They really are the bookends of the Second Vatican Council. Of course, John uh, John Paul, as, as uh, Carol Wattin, was at, as an auxiliary bishop, was at the Second Vatican Council, and Pope John XXIII, Pope St. John XXIII, opened the council, and then the last documents of the council, John Pope John Paul II said um, that the last document was the Code of Canon Law of 1983, and he presided over that. So they kind of, one opened the council, one kind of is in charge of defining and interpreting what the council taught. So so in, in some sense, I think people unfairly will pigeonhole them in areas of the church. They look at good Pope John as the, you know, the, 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 this progressive, you know, open, um, even sometimes say liberal Catholic, which is not true if you know mm-hmm. his background and what he came from. Of, of course, he was a very good Pope and mm-hmm. came from, from, he was a poor, he was a poor kid, a peasant. Um, and then they'll treat, somehow, sometimes they'll treat Pope St. John Paul the Second, like uh, you know, this conservative icon, this mega, mm-hmm. mega, you know, rock star kind of guy. But the reason that they were canonized is because of their personal holiness. It right. wasn't because of their teachings. Their teachings are just the teachings of the church. But you had two very deeply holy men. And we're, we're very lucky because we've had a good string for a few hundred years of very holy popes. We can't say that about every moment right. in the church's right. history. Yeah. But, um, but these two really – and I think by, you know, by having them canonized at the same time, it kind of brought the church, all of us there because we all wanted to see. And you know, having them – canonized at the same time yeah. i mean history was never made. never so you never. had how many people were there millions yeah or a million people they, well you can't fit a million in the square yeah you can i think that they say around the basilica maybe 250 300 people can go they did have some screens set up around rome and different mm. piazzas you had many more people that could fit who were there who yeah. were up on top of buildings looking for balconies uh, i remember the last big event that i was for a canonization when i was there was uh, was blessed Teresa of Calcutta, and the crowds were just phenomenal. I didn't go down into the piazza. I watched it from our office window. You could see it from there. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, well, we were right in front, so it was a great place to watch it. But then I could say mass for my parents and some friends who were over for it, and then we could go out the window and watch the the beatification in that case take place. But that was a mega event, and I think this one was probably at least as big. But I talked to a lot of friends who were there, and we're going to have one of them on the the show in the second segment. But um, it's a time, you know, 
Although I kind of people ask me why I didn't go, I said, well, you know, there's no suspense. You know, I went for the conclave. There's, you yeah, know, you don't yeah, know what's going to happen. Yeah, you know, it's kind of <laughs> suspenseful. Whereas I knew what was going to happen. Both these popes were going to be declared saints yeah. of the church, and so, um, but it, I think that the joy that that you have of being around so many Catholics who are there to celebrate the personal holiness of these two men, recognizing how God worked in their lives, and and being around like-minded Catholics who were doing the same thing, and their joy um, was contagious. And everybody I've talked to. The said whole, that it was phenomenal. You know, you, you're there, like you say, you know what's going on, and I imagine more could not go into the square than could. Right. But the whole city of Rome, oh yeah, that was, it was joyful, a celebratory event, oh, and, yeah. and so you're you're having this this, and this. then while you're there. You can get some good food, too. Yeah. 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 Forgot about that part. <laughs> I wonder how does the city manage this influx of You know people? they are so good at it. I think that really the bulk of the people will come just for that day. You don't have people camping out for a week. You know, they have busloads of pilgrims right. being brought in the day before. And you had people – I saw pictures camped out in, yep. in, the, in the streets in St. Mm. Peter's Square. Wow. And the church the, – the, the city knows it's going to happen, so they'll put cart crates of, uh, of water on street corners. They've got plenty of bathrooms. It wasn't, I don't think it was that cool this time. I wasn't there, but you know, when there have been events, they've also put big stacks of blankets so people can cover up and they they really handle it well. And you know, when you have a crowd, you know, that's there for a holy event, it's not, it's not really a party in the sense like Mardi Gras is a party. You don't have people (laughs) cutting up, right? I mean, nobody goes to a canonization to go drink, you know, hurricanes in the streets. They're they're there to, to, to pray and to be together. And, and I knew priests who, you know, at different events, when I was there, would just walk through the crowds and hear, sit down, start hearing confessions. The line would form, wow. and uh, wow. but uh, but you know they've got to eat, so they you know I'm sure they people brought a lot of, brought their own food, and you probably had a lot of people coming from um, from the, you know the uh, from Poland, you know I mean mm-hmm. I bet most I've, of I've Poland came yes. over and buses wow. and buses and buses, and then people from you know Pope John the Twenty Third's hometown and, and areas where he had been in in Venice and you know where he had um, known a lot of people, and, and there are probably a lot of people who. Who were, you know, still alive? Who were, knew him? You know, and uh, and so it's kind of neat to have someone, you know, get, you know, canonized by the church. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing, though. A whole city, I mean, the city itself, saying, "Okay, we got folks coming in. Let's set out water. Let's set out, yep. as you said in the yep. past, blankets." Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. amazing. That's a, yeah, it's, we, it's well, charitable, know, yeah. and at the same time, it's wonderful. Know, it's, it, we we kind of, you know, we should wish we did more of it here. You know, I when know. people come in, we don't usually we just leave them to their own devices and they're wandering the streets. Yeah. You know? Not trouble. Yeah. getting in trouble. <laughs> 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 right. Not too many people get in trouble. Again. And I'll tell you, those crowds, you know, and we we spoke when I was there for the uh, conclave last year. Um, the joy in that crowd, and you don't have traffic jams, you don't have people pushing, you don't have people yelling. I mean, when when Pope Francis came to the window right after he was elected, he asked if everybody would pray for him, and I, you could have heard a yep. pin drop On in TV, that piazza, and there's a quarter million people out there, yeah. and uh, and so that's you can only really get that from the Holy Spirit giving you that kind of peace. You can't really get that from everybody agreeing. Let's be quiet. You right. know, the Holy Spirit. We can't agree to be. We can't yeah. even agree. To be quiet. You go to a Saints game and they ask for a oh, moment no. of silence. There's always some, you know, Yahoo. dumb guy down the street, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but 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 it really, it just it still is amazing to know that 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 millions of people yeah. are that well. And, I, and I'm really impressed too. And you you just hinted at this a moment ago um, to 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 see. 
two people that I mean, in recent history, people that we know, people that we've seen, people mm-hmm. that we have listened to, we've, we've heard them talk, you know, uh, they're canonized saints. Yeah. And uh, Monsignor, I know I've seen pictures uh, of you with, with Mother Teresa, and I spent two years in seminary with her priest in Mexico. I was honored to, to have met her on three different occasions. And on one of those occasions, uh, I got to spend about 10 minutes or so with her alone in the chapel praying and just talking. I mean, you guys talked and, two saints. And that was, yeah. I mean, I think back, I got goosebumps now thinking I, about it. When I, I, I think would. back to that, I was 18 years old. I do nothing about life. You know what I mean? And, and yet I had this incredible experience with this woman who is now a blessed of the church yeah. and will will probably soon be canonized. Sure. Yeah. Real very, soon. Very soon. Uh, it's just an amazing thing. Yeah. But it's pretty cool for these two. And we'll, we'll get back in a minute and talk to um, one of our friends who was there. But this is the first uh, the first canonization of a pope in 60 years since uh, Pope St. Pius yeah. X. And yeah. the first time ever that two uh, were canonized on the same day. So uh, something special. There you go. All right. All right. Well, we're going to take a break and uh, we'll be right back. Hi, this is Jeff Young, producer and host of the Catholic Foodie Podcast and co-host of the Around the Table Food Show. I want to invite you to join me each week as I discuss food, faith, and family. From food in the Bible to delicious recipes that you can prepare any night of the week, from on-location restaurant reviews and in-depth conversations with local chefs to interviews with cookbook authors and more, you will find inspiration and encouragement to get into the kitchen and to gather with your family as often as possible around the table. You'll find all this and more at catholicfoodie.com, where food meets faith. Welcome back to Around the Table. We are talking about the recent canonizations. Pope John the Twenty Third, actually Pope Saint John, John the Twenty Third, and Pope Saint John Paul the Second. It's going to take some Man, getting used to, huh? A lot of words. To, Can to, we shrink that down to something? Some people are actually saying now Pope Saint John Paul the Great, just to make it easier, because oh, it kind of rolls through pretty yeah, easy. Yeah. You know, we, they we made it easier. Those just... of us, well, you know, the second, you know, it kind of a little little s's there. The Great just kind of. You know, puts a little highlight on it. Yeah, it uh, there were a lot of people in the piazza when when he was buried. I was there. Uh, there were put up signs saying "Santo Subito," Saint right away. But yeah. I also heard people yelling out "Magno" or or "Magnus," meaning great. Mm-hmm. And um, and there have been you know a lot of very devout people in the church who really think he belongs up there with those few popes who were who were great. That you didn't have one who traveled as much as he did, or mm-hmm. he spoke the languages he did, and 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 really. He was the Pope of the world, you know? He was the Pope of the world. He wasn't just the Pope of Rome. He was the Pope of the world and went everywhere. Most traveled man, probably the most photographed man in the history of the world. That's amazing. Uh, all the appearances he made and the length of his papacy. Mm, my goodness. That is amazing. Well, we, we, uh, we actually we have a guest today on the show who was there. Who was there at the canonization? That's right. We have Mary Madeline with us today, and uh, Mary, are you there? I'm here. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I wish I was in New Orleans, but <laughs> yeah, it's probably a little cooler there in Alexandria than it is in New Orleans today. I think <laughs> we got our summer coming on. It's going to be time for you to turn on the air conditioning in your house. I know. Not going to happen, months, and you're not going to happen. <laughs> so when you cook, just prepare to turn on the fan. I'll, I'll right. just have to wear shorts with my Rabian cuffs then <laughs> when I come over. Oh, there's a sight. Okay. <laughs> well, we were talking. We we talked earlier about the just the historic nature of the canonization. Two popes for the first time in history. First canonization of a pope in sixty years. 
and uh, and and about how they kind of are the bookends of the Vatican Council, the, the Pope who called it and the Pope who helped define it. Um, but we want to really talk now just about you know your experience of being there, and uh, and then you better throw in a little bit about the food you ate while you were there because yeah. we're we're kind of around the table here with the food and we know <laughs> it was good. Well, all my blessings. The I've been to Rome twice with Monsignor Nalti. Uh, most recently at a pilgrimage, an early Christian pilgrimage, and before the uh, the conclave. So he's introduced me to all the best restaurants. We want to start with food. <laughs> and so all my best buddies. This time to go to um, with Cardinal Dolan to two of Monsignor's favorite Scarponis in the what's the other one, Monsignor Rovere? Um, Soreva. Did you go to Sareva? Is it? I thought it was Rovere. It's the one by the. Remember when we went right after the conclave? Yeah, Sareva. Oh, okay. Yeah, well. that's his. He actually said last year in a um, article right after he was made a cardinal, he, they asked him his favorite restaurants, and those are two of the three he picked. That and Chichilla Matella. So they got a lot of. Uh, I think it was one more, but they got a lot of press after that. And uh, so when he goes back there, that's where he hangs out. He's got to, and and all the waiters from when he was there as a, the rector of the North American College, they're almost all the same guys there. They're serving oh, yeah. the same food. They all know everybody. Wow. And, well, let me brag on my own Monsignor here because we went with a part of Cardinal Dolan's pilgrims. He had three different groups going to Scarponis, and they had, were closed for the night, but they opened it for him. Yeah. So my girlfriends and I went as a all good, great Catholic, crazy Catholic chick. We go in there, we sat at our own until we didn't want to bother anybody, and they were trying to ignore us until the owner came out and said, Monsignor Nolte, Monsignor Nolte, recognized me from the Monsignor's trip, and then I've got everything from free wine, good wine, wow. to a Scarponi's apron, which I'm not giving up. Monsignor. Ah, you got a skirt, and I don't even have a Scarponi's apron. Oh, well, I've got to check that. I might, well, can I at least wear it when I'm cooking at your house? Yes, you can, but it's really lovely how the, uh, going to the theme of this show and the really the theme of how we live in New Orleans. Yeah. It's all connected. It's it's a very spiritual family fun thing to eat. Nothing, no food, whatever you're eating, no I don't think I've ever ordered there. Between no. Monsignor and Cardinal Dole and everybody else, you just sit down and the food starts coming and the wine starts flowing and the conversation gets better and better. I can only imagine conversations sitting around the table with Cardinal Dolan. I could listen to the man speak forever, but getting to talk about food. Oh, my oh, goodness. He, oh, he loves food. Yeah. Let me tell you. He, he, in fact, Didn't he lose he, a lot of weight, though? He has. He goes kind of like a yo-yo, but okay. he, he used to joke when we were in seminary that he uh, that he was he was he always with intersplices homilies with food references, uh-huh. you know? I know. And, uh, and and one of my favorite ones that he, you know, it really makes sense is that you can't make, you need good flour to make good gnocchi. Okay. And gnocchi is that kind of, um, you know, potato pasta. It's kind of heavy, really mm-hmm. heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he talked about that as seminarians. You can't make good priests without good 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 men. Ah. And so he would use, you need, it takes good good flour to make good gnocchi. But but then he would always joke about himself. He's very self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I got this new this new exercise bike. I got it on my deck so I can, you know, do my exercise, pedal, on, pedal and make my mileage. And the one thing I like about this one, it's got a little attachment on the side where I can put my gnocchi. <laughs> 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 yeah. but, uh, I think it makes it fun like we do in New Orleans. Yeah. You know, uh, that might be the two places 
we may be the the only people in the world that just yum 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 through every course, yeah. and it's yeah. just it's it's how it's how meals should be enjoyed, it's how food should be enjoyed, how companies should be enjoyed, mm. and he he's he quite the convener, Cardinal Dolan. Oh yeah, he makes such a a friendly table, and Monsignor knows this too. This is something that I find we do a lot in New Orleans and a few other places. Everywhere we went, he went into the kitchen and met mm. with all the. Oh, yeah. Yep. Chefs and the help. Yep, yep, yep. It's really. Well, you got to also you got to make sure that kitchen is clean too. You know. <laughs> so you do it beforehand, or you do? Well, it he also I think he does that so he can meet the chef, and then the chef might take a special interest in his plate when it comes out. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think I think it's more altruistic. I know. I'm teasing. But tell us about some of your conversation because y'all y'all obviously you didn't just go for the canonizations. You were there for a little while, and so you must have had some good conversations about what. What was going on there in Rome? I mean, I'm, I'm sure Cardinal Dolan shared you his thoughts about, you know, what this meant to him about the, these popes. Well, I, everything is so feels. I feel so blessed every time I go over there because I learn so much, and nothing's all so revelatory to me. But, but picking up where you guys, where I picked up on this show, one of the things that struck me, maybe I don't know if you take it for granted, was how many people including Cardinal Dolan and Cardinal Burke, with whom we also had a, a an audience, talked about the John Paul II generation of priests mm-hmm. and their impact on formation yep. and their in the whole generation that he brought to the church. And I didn't know this, that he was the first World Youth uh, yep. did the first World Youth Day. And the other thing that struck you, whether or not you knew what you were even looking at, was the plethora of just the hordes of young people who were all over town sleeping in churches. They opened up a lot of the churches, and the kids were in there, and they're sleeping. Our kids, everybody's a kid to me now, it's under 40. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so t- tell us a little bit about what you saw, you know, in terms of the uh, the crowds and the, the joy and, uh, and just, you know, what was it like being there? Give us a little taste. It was crowded. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. Two popes being canonized, and there's a lot of people there. It was blessedly crowded, but it was unlike, I kept saying to my friends that I was with, boy, this is so calm. This is so nice. Everybody's so nice. It's nothing like a Saints game. Not that people aren't nice at a Saints <laughs> right. game. Right. Oh, yeah. Be careful there. Be careful. <laughs> but as crowded as it was, nobody was pushing or shoving. Everybody was uh, was just exuding joy. So many young people. And it's always shocking to me how, and when Monsignor and I were there for the conclave, there were so many people, too, how effortlessly it appears that the Vatican is able to conduct these large events, particularly with so many, so many young people, so many young people, and all were beaming. And the other, the other wonderful thing, since we see so little of this, at least in the news, is the conglomeration of cultures. There were people from all over the world and all the all speaking a different language. Monsignor, I missed you when Monsignor does translations in four or five different languages. <laughs> I don't know if you know Polish, but there was a, yeah. a, a lot of Poles there. But it just was really so such a such a feeling of hope, such a feeling. The whole place was infused with love, and no problem getting any food or anything to drink. Or there was a problem, obviously, getting to the 
to St. Peter's, but no, there were no problems with any accidents or any fights or anything like that. It was just really a joyous occasion. We were saying before we got you on, and I, I talked about when we were at the conclave, is that you, you have, it's hard to imagine to being in the midst of so many people and having such calm prevail. You don't see impatience. You don't see anybody getting angry. When the Pope asked us to pray for him when right after he was elected, you could have dropped a pin in that piazza. And then even when it broke up as we were leaving, everybody is just, you know, I think it's only the Holy Spirit that can do that. I don't think that, you know, even on the best day when, you know, you're at a, a, a college football game where no alcohol is served and they ask for a moment of silence, there's always somebody who's going to do something, you know. And there, uh, you, you just, the, the Holy Spirit comes down. Everybody's gathered around the Holy Father and uh, and you're there for a solemn occasion. Everybody knows what you're there for. So they come with, usually, I think, in, in any case, in any, any experience I've had, they come with the best intentions and uh, and it just shows. You know, everybody helps out everybody. You know what else, Monsignor? I I guess I sort of expected that the conclave. I don't know that I expected to be that peaceful and joyful everywhere, not just in St. Peter's Square, but they had put, the Vatican had put uh, those jumbotrons in every piazza. So we were, we had been staying at the Piazza Narvona, and there, that place was, that whole piazza was jam-packed and you could hear a pin drop in there but for yeah, the jumbo yeah. crowns it was just and that's kind of a little party area too you know all the cafes and bars around there you could it'd be literally i mean i hate to compare it to bourbon street but it'd be like putting up a, a jumbotron on canal street you know you, <laughs> yeah. you you got you're close to bourbon street there and to imagine that it was so still so peaceful because not everybody who lives in that neighborhood is a lot of them just live there and work there and yeah. uh and and but i think that there are respectful about the, the pilgrims they they, they know these people are coming for a good reason, and they do. The city helps out. Like you said, I know it wasn't, it wasn't hard for people to get water or somewhere to go to the bathroom. They put all those crates of water out on corners, and uh, and I, I thought that was nice that the, the Holy Father, in fact, announced that he wanted all the churches in the center, the historical center of Rome, they call the Centro, to be open that night for pilgrims. And so they, they all the churches were open all night so pilgrims had a place to stay because a lot of them, there's not enough hotel rooms in Rome for everybody that came. They got to stay somewhere, so you- and they opened up the churches. You have these streets, oh, wow. and they're full of people, and right. you got all the restaurants around the streets and everything. So while it is actually going on, what's going on with the restaurants and everything? Did they pretty much shut them down? No. Well, it's, it's early enough that the, I think that the conclave started, t- I, mean, I mean, the canonization started around 10, I think, Mary, and they go till about noon, and so you don't have people really eat in Rome before 1230 anyway. Ah, so. right. uh, but you'd have bars, and yeah, you'd have cafes, and, and, and actually, you got it. People got to eat, you know, so oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you got to eat, right? <laughs> So they do, so tell us you've got you, you know you had all this time you saw Cardinal Dolan what are some of your most memorable meals that you had in Rome? Okay, we're having some tef- technical difficulties for some reason. The phone has decided to just hang up on Mary. Or yeah. actually, what what was happening is as Mary was talking, we just weren't hearing. We just her. weren't right. hearing right. Yeah, right. Is, so. uh, well, it just means uh, that we need to have another little capital campaign for the Catholic okay. Channel here to upgrade our, our studio facilities, <laughs> particularly our line in. Oh, you man. know, I, I could we could have done this whole thing on my iPhone. I think it's uh, sophisticated enough. But you know, Mary Mary told me a lot about the trip. Um, we were together over this weekend, and uh, and we were with one of the priests, uh, Father Jerry Murray, who's a priest from the Archdiocese in New York, and and uh, they 
they went back and forth about what a wonderful time it was. And, you know, we talk a lot on the show about bringing things that bring people together and how food brings people together. Well, in Rome, you kind of got it all coming. You had the mm-hmm. church bringing people together, in not only both wings of the church in a sense, if you really want to define it that way, Pope, uh, the people who loved Pope John Paul uh, II and people who loved Pope St. John Paul, John XXIII, um, but Catholics from all over the world, all kinds of cultures, languages, and then food, uh, food in Rome, you know, uh, and, and, you know, when, when they got together, she said the conversation always went around what, you know, what the church was doing and the, the beautiful recognition of these two examples of holiness. But she did tell me about some of the good food that they had. In fact, she, she called me and asked for one of my recipes for a dinner she's hosting this weekend. But the one thing that she couldn't get over, um, was something that you don't see that often in the United States. But you see sometimes in sushi restaurants is squid steak. And that was one of my favorite things squid to eat. Steak. Squid How do you get steak. a steak out of That's squid? the craziest thing. You take the whole head of the squid. And they get these big old squids out there, you know, maybe maybe six, eight inches long. And they clean out the inside and you just have that head. You know, we, we see it like chopped up in rings yeah. like for mm-hmm. calamari. Because it's the same it's the same thing. thing. You're just yep. cutting the head and yep. But they don't – instead of cutting it to rings like calamari, which they do sometimes, that's more something on the coast or something in the south, they'll they'll open up that whole head so it's like a flat a flat squid. And then they, they'll maybe put a little bit of salt and uh, and then they will – and a little bit of olive oil and they'll throw that thing on the grill for literally, I mean, 20, 30 seconds aside and it mm. gets just a little char. They throw that on the plate. They squeeze some lemon juice and throw some parsley on top. And I mean to tell you, it is so fresh tasting. It has no fishy taste. And you eat it like you're eating like a piece of veal, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, but but because it's squid, you, you know, an hour later, you're like, you don't feel like you ate anything, you know. So what's I mean, the texture just, like? It's kind of, uh, you know, rubbery, rubbery. Yeah, but, yeah, but it yeah. doesn't, it isn't rubbery in the sense that you really have to chew hard. It kind of clicks in your mouth. You chew it and yeah. it kind of pops, you know, like a, like it is calamari. a very similar consistency to calamari, yeah. but it's a different flavor. Calamari is, you know, you had all the breading on there, which kind of takes most of the taste away. Mm-hmm. But Mary was horrified to see my friend, Father Jerry Murray <laughs> at the squid steak. I said, oh my gosh, that's one of the things I really miss over there. I've gotten it. There's a sushi place on um, on Maple Street that has it, but they put a lot of sauce on it. Uh, and, and the sauce is good, but over there it was just lemon, olive oil, parsley, and, and I think I don't think they put salt. I think I put salt on it, and uh, really, really good. Couldn't it be done here? Yeah, but we don't do. We use those, we use those things for bait here. Yeah, I know. You know, I put them yeah. on the, everything them, you're describing. When you said six, I put them like, on an outrigger, looking you know for something to bite <laughs> on it. But uh, no, but they we don't. We really don't. You know, you go you have your Italian restaurants. They have their fried calamari, yeah. but they just you just don't see it this way. I was actually at one time at Rouse's, and they had squid like that there, and I bought some. But boy, squid spoils really quickly, and mm. I, I I forgot to cook it. I bought it on Friday to cook Friday, and forgot about. It and by Tuesday, it was not, yeah. it was bait, yeah. it was yeah. bait at that yeah. point, you know. So but, they had yeah. it fanned out like that, they had, uh, it, they uh, had it cleaned. So, oh, okay. you know, what's inside of the squid is you know, all the internal organs and stuff, and so they had it all cleaned out. And then you, and then they take the legs and they'll cook those too, they'll put it on mm-hmm. the side. But the main part is that steak. But you know, that's not you know, typical Roman food. There were a lot of restaurants, one of my favorite restaurants, Scavi di Abruzzo, that always had that. I remember the first time one of my friends got it, and I'm like, what is, what is that? that? <laughs> you know, is. I'd rather get a 
pizza or a steak or some pasta. But I tell you what, after I had it once, I never got anything again differently when I went to that restaurant. Oh, right. But they had, you know, when they do these communal meals around the, um, when you have such big crowds there, they kind of have to do everybody get the same pasta. You know, if you got thirty people, you can't you can't do thirty pastas. So they had communal right. meals. But I think the big thing they just share the joy and the joy that the church celebrates with these uh, these two new pope saints, and we're gonna have to get used to saying their names and using their names in the mass and invoking them for holy intercession. So we're grateful for we're the church. To, uh, and well, Francis. maybe maybe as we close out the show and and we ask you for the blessing, perhaps you can invoke their I intercession. Will. Also. I will through the through the holy intercession of Pope Saint John the Twenty Third and Pope Saint John Paul the Second. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week. This production is affiliated with SQPN, the StarQuest Production Network, leading the way.